Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 10th day of May, 2023. Happy, delicious Thursday, Wednesday, too. Wednesday. It's Wednesday, too. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host, and that's why it's called the Derek Hunter Podcast. Thanks for listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, and all that good stuff. All right, we've got a lot of stuff going on and things developing as I speak. I just watched the president speak, and I thought... Ooh, I can talk about what, no, he didn't say a damn thing that was worth repeating or replaying. Honest to God, it's past his bedtime. So he's out there and he's saying, no, I thought the meeting was good. The meeting was good. Were you in on the meeting, Mr. President? I'm just curious. I honestly don't know the answer, but I don't, I don't know that you know the answer either. So we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. We've got Tucker Carlson news that we'll start off with. It's actually semi-close to the source on that today. And a whole bunch of other things, including the idiots on The View being, well, I gave it away in the name, Idiots on The View. But let's uh, first tell you about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. That's where you go. Support the show. Appreciate you. Enter the contest. Get bonus content. All that good stuff. I appreciate everybody who has signed up recently and uh, encourage and ask for more. Or just if sh- short of that, share this on social media. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Turn your friends on and uh, leave the rest to me. All right. Now, we're going to talk about Tucker Carlson. I went to Washington, D.C. today, had a couple of meetings first of which was at a former employer, and then the second of which was at a former employer. But the second one was The Daily Caller. Remember them? Yes, The Daily Caller. I uh, reached out to my buddy Neil, who owns The Daily Caller. He's the publisher there. And I said, hey, you know, you want to get together? Because I hadn't seen him in a while. I don't know that I've seen him since COVID, to be honest with you. They have a new, no, I know I haven't because they have a new building and I had not been in that building and I wanted to go into that building, but they bought it right as COVID hit. So I went over there and we're talking, we're catching up and then he tells me about Tucker's plans, that he's going to do a show. I'm not going to give away too much because I'll give away what's known publicly because Tucker announced it in a video. But he told me that Tucker was going to do a new show on Twitter, at least for now. He didn't know all the details, didn't know all the stuff. He's so like, that's interesting. He has to fork. I've seen some published reports. Tucker's going to have to forego about $25 million in salary. And I got to tell you something. What you think of, you can think of this what you will. You can either think, my God, what a hero. Or you can think, my God, What a lunatic. But the contract for Tucker with the non-compete clause, apparently published reports indicate that Tucker was not fired. He was simply taken off the air by Fox, which means that Fox had to keep paying him, which theoretically they had kept paying him, which means he's making a lot of money, at least $40,000 a year would be my guess. That would be the starting rate. (laughs) <laughs> but he's making a lot of money. 
And a contract went on for another year and a half. So that meant they would have to keep paying him a large amount of money for the next year and a half. And you say, well, it doesn't. So all you got to do, all you've got to do to make, and what the uh, published reports that I saw were twenty-five million dollars. All you've got to do to make twenty-five million dollars is not do a TV show in any format. Presumably, one would assume that the lawyers for Fox News are rather thorough, and they're not willy-nilly about it. You can't do a TV show. And they go, all right, well, I'm going to do a, a podcast or whatever. There's lawyers are paid the big bucks for a reason but the non-compete clause is in full effect there on tucker's show which means what means that he would have to not do a tv show do a show of any sort he's still technically a fox news employee having dealt with fox news on a lot of things guest wise and trying to book guests, there are a lot of people who work for Fox News that I know personally, who I've spoken to. I, this is part of why I don't do guests, especially from Fox News anymore, aside from all the uh, contemptuous uh, commentary I've given to this point, is you'll say, hey, uh, Schmallow, whatever, hey, uh, Frankie, you want to do, uh, can you do an interview tomorrow? And they go, sure, yeah, I'm free, I got nothing going on. And so you reach out to Fox PR and you say, hey, uh, I'd like, is it possible to get uh, Frankie on the show tomorrow at whatever time? Now, you'd already agreed to this with the person. They just said, I can't technically agree, officially agree. You got to run it through Fox uh, PR. And so they go, okay. And you reach out to Fox PR and they go, oh, uh, let me check. And then they get back to you and they say, sorry, Frankie's not available at that time, but would you like somebody else? And you go, well, what do you mean? Frankie's not available at the I didn't, you don't say this because you'll get in trouble. But you're going in your head and saying, what the hell do you mean Frankie's not available? I know Frankie. Frankie just told me Frankie's available. But they're pushing somebody else for whatever reason it is. They have their reasons, one must assume. But they they do do things like that where you're sitting there and you're going, why? Why? And you, you have somebody who has agreed to come. Now you can't have them because that person is contractually obligated to not do media appearances that are not approved. So you get screwed and you deal with these people. So they make sure that there is nothing left to chance in these contracts. There's not a lot of wiggle room. So for Tucker, that means that he has to forego that. He can't just say, well, you didn't specifically say I couldn't do a streaming show on you on Twitter. So he has to forego $25 million. Now, the part that uh, leaves you wondering whether or not he is a hero or crazy, I have my own position on this, but is you sit there and you go, you could have had $25 million if you just did nothing. Do you believe in the cause more than $25 million worth? And for Tucker Carlson, it seems if the reports are right, I didn't confirm this with Tucker and I didn't confirm this with Neil or anything, but if the reports are right, one has to assume that it matters a hell of a lot more to Tucker to be able to come out 
and participate, to be able to come out and talk and communicate the news in a trusted way that millions of people enjoy. That says something about a man's character, does it not? It sure does to me. So with that in mind, I want to play you the Tucker Carlson video, the audio of it. So in case you're one of the three people on the planet who hasn't heard it, you can hear it for yourself. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have, but that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before... Am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We bring some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. See you soon. Now, beyond that, I know very little more. I know a little bit more, but it's not my place to uh, to tell it, and so I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to fart around about it and say, keep an eye open for this or watch out. No. I. Uh, it's not my place to tell it. It wasn't told to me by Tucker directly, and it wasn't told to me in a way that Tucker said, uh, go ahead and tell everybody you want. So in that sense, that's what's going on. Would you be able to forego $25 million or $20 million or whatever the number is for doing nothing? Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this, though. You could 
my answer first off would be right now hell no i would take the 25 million dollars are you kidding me i would uh, do a lot not uh, you know what would you do for a klondike bar i wouldn't commit murder for a klondike bar and i wouldn't commit a murder for 25 million dollars but you know manslaughter no uh do lots of things 25 million dollars because i have no million dollars so yeah it would be life-changing could i sit on my ass for the next well, the rest of my life, really, if you gave me $25 million. You want to get, hey, Libs, you want to get rid of me? Give me $25 million, and you'll never hear from me again. I'll be gone, and there you go. That's highly unlikely to happen in any scenario where somebody offers me millions of dollars. But it would be difficult for anybody, I would say, to say, okay, well, I'll just, I'll sit it out. I'll sit down. I'll, I'll do whatever. Because $25 million is $25 million freaking dollars. That's a lot of money. But look at it this way. He's got other millions of dollars. Now, if you had other millions of dollars, it'd still be very tempting to go, well, yeah, I've got $10 million in the bank or whatever it is. Um, but $25 million on top of that would sure taste sweet. You know, ice cream is good, but when you pour hot fudge over it, it's even better, right? So you would be tempted to say, okay. So that means that you really have to believe in what you're doing, in what you're fighting for, in order to turn your nose up or turn your back on or whatever metaphor you want to walk away from $25 million. Don't you? Seems like it to me. And so in that sense, if you sit around, you, you could say, well, Tucker, he has money. He doesn't, 20, everybody, look, I said it before and I'll say it again. Anybody who makes a lot of money, you become capable of spending an awful lot of money. That's how famous people go broke. Because you sit there and you go, well, Wesley Snipes has made tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, and he spent tens of millions of dollars. Think of all the rock stars who've gone completely broke. Think of all the athletes who've gone completely broke. How did you go broke? You were making $10 million a year for playing a game. Yeah, or $20 million. Yeah, you sure did, sure was. But I spent it all. And I spent it like I was going to make it forever, that kind of income, when realistically the window in which you can make that kind of money is pretty finite. It's much larger in media, but it is finite in sports. It's finite in media, too. And considering that Tucker had really only been, he'd been with Fox for a few years with his own show, five years, I think. And so the first couple of years, I mean, he wasn't getting minimum wage or anything like that, but he wasn't getting FU money. He had to prove himself. They weren't stupid. They didn't throw money at him for just throwing money at him's sake. So you watch these situations and you go, all right, what would I do? What would Tucker do? And what Tucker is doing is walking away from that money that I think most people would say, I'll take the money. I can be quiet. And that's the difference. I think most people in, in cable television would say, well, screw it, I'll take the money. Why not? I'll just shut my mouth. And maybe, uh, you know, you just, or whatever, you, you, you bank 25 million bucks, a bird in the hand, man, forget it. That's what I, I, I think most people would do. 
That's not what Tucker is doing, which tells you what? He really, truly believes in what he says. And what he says in that video, we've talked about, he and I years ago talked about this, kind of the foundation of the Daily Caller is, it wasn't that there wasn't news out there, there wasn't information out there, it simply wasn't complete picture. You know, the left has an entire industry where they will take video of a conservative and stop playing it right before they make the clarifying point. Right? They just, and they say, see, aha, horrible monster, this kind of ist or this kind of phobe. And you know it's wildly, wildly dishonest. It's disingenuous. But there are people out there dumb enough to fall for it. There are networks out there corrupt enough to publicize it. There are, everybody who works at Media Matters is a horrible, horrible person. I mean, honest to God. They're gross people. On top of it, they're just disgusting. You, you look at it and you go, how is it that you can live with yourself? Like, I, I just don't get it. But they exist. So to sit there and say, you can walk away from all this crap. You never have to worry about this again. The goon who sits in their underpants watching your show from Media Matters, taking everything they can out of context, is going to have to do it to somebody else. Watch somebody else. You know, that'd be you know, great, great, screw them, maybe that, no. Some people walk away from the fire, run away from the fire, other people walk towards it, and ultimately, what Tucker is doing is walking toward the fire in a way that I don't think many people would, because I think Fox is going to be trying to sue, try and get an injunction against this, whatever, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but I suspect they're not particularly happy right now. And having a major corporation with billions of dollars not particularly happy at you means that they can come after you like a rabid spider monkey. So, what it'll ultimately mean, I don't know. But it is good to know that, and it tells you what I always knew about Tucker, is that he's willing to do the crazy things. He's willing to go and say, I don't care what's in it for me. What's best? What's best? Not what's best for me, but what's best? And I hope it works out. I will be watching. But I, I, I gave other advice to his friend that will be conveyed to him, and I've given it to him too. Um, so I don't want to comment too much on this beyond that. I'll just tell you that uh, the next 72 hours that you hear a whole bunch of radio and TV blowhards talk about what's going on or spe- they don't know a damn thing, and they'll never know a damn thing. Yeah, well, he's a good friend. No, he's not. These people, no. Judging by what Tucker has said to me in the past and what he said in that video right there, he sees right through all of these frauds in media more clearly now than he ever has, but he always saw through them right away. That's, again, why the Daily Caller was started. So good luck, and uh, I'm in. He hasn't called me, though. But I mean, anyway, Cucker, hit me up, man. What the hell? All right, now I want to move on to other things. The President of the United States just spoke, and the Speaker of the House just spoke about the 
debt ceiling negotiations that they're not really having. It's a very bizarre situation. It's Kabuki Theater. Washington, D.C. is high school with paychecks. It's not even a good high school. It's not even like 90210 in Beverly Hills where it's Beverly Hills High. At least the people are dumb, but at least they're attractive. No, people are dumb and they're not attractive. And there's a lot of money and there's wild corruption and general stupidity. And you sit there and you go, everything I've ever thought about a merit-based society goes to hell if you really just look at the political class. It really does. Merit, you got to earn these now. And then you look at these morons in political power and you go, well, that's not at all what's going on here. On both sides of the aisle, by the way. But they met, they discussed, they agreed to get together to meet and discuss again on Friday. At the end of the day, they're not going to default, but they both need to peacock around to their various bases to make it seem as though they could, might, maybe, I'll turn. It's that old threat of, if you kids don't knock it off, I'll turn this car right around and we'll go home. Really? You got all the tickets and hotel and everything for Disney all booked up or whatever people are going to these days. Universal, you got it dropped about uh, two grand for the family for just tickets on top of another grand for a week of hotels. And if I flick my sister's ear one more time, you're just going to urinate all over that money, Dad? I don't think so. But they all do it. I don't know, maybe somebody's dad out there did turn the car around and, like, ruin their family vacation. But I doubt it. Maybe they dropped the kid off at grandma's house. That'd be more likely. But when you get into these situations, there's a certain amount of gesturing and peacocking and gyrating that has to happen. You have to play the game. And that's what's going on right now with Biden and Kevin McCarthy. They're going, we're not going to, def- they're both saying they're not going to default, but there's no way they're going to do this, that, and the other thing. McCarthy says we're not going to pass just a clean debt ceiling hike without some spending cuts. And Biden is saying there's no way I'm going to sign anything that doesn't, that includes anything other than a clean debt ceiling hike. It's stupid. You get sick of it after a while. And to be honest with you, there's always the possibility that somebody is so wildly stupid that they screw up, do the wrong thing, and actually do push us over the edge. With these two geniuses in charge, it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case. But I don't really believe that that will happen. They will come up with, a, we have agreed to release, to raise the debt ceiling, and then we're going to rein in spending over here that doesn't really rein in spending anywhere, or it's something so insignificant as to not register. And then we are uh, going to sit down and have a serious discussion about our spending problem. We've all seen this movie before, right? Have we not? So don't get too worked up about things. I want to play you, and I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, should I try to pronounce this guy's name? And I'm not sure. I'm going to try to pronounce his name anyway. He was on with Jake Tapper today. He's an economic advisor to Joe Biden. His name is Bharat Ramarudi. Bharat Ramarudi, I think. Jake Tapper, I tell you about the this lack of seriousness or the lack of 
anything from this White House. Jake Tapper lays it out pretty plainly, whether you believe it or not, that's what they say, that there is no negotiation. We've passed a debt limit increase already in the House, and they have. And then the Republicans in the Senate, 43 of them, have said, we will vote for this one. We will not vote for a clean bill with nothing in it, nothing else in it. So they've effectively blocked anything from happening in the Senate, except for this bill, provided they get some Democrat support on it. So you would think, faced with this reality, Mr. White House spokesman guy, what are you bringing to the table? What are you going to do? What do you ha- what's your alternative? What's your plan B? If this if you're saying no to everything, you you should put forth something. Here's the Republican plan. You can't say the House can't get anything done cuz they've already passed it. What's your counter? And he gives away the store. Barat says, uh, we got no, we got no plan. We got no plan B. Nothing at all. I wasn't even in town that month. The Biden administration is insisting that President Biden will only sign a clean debt ceiling bill without any spending cuts. I mean, frankly, sir, you don't have the numbers. Uh, the House is controlled by Republicans, and now you have 43 Senate Republicans siding with them. That's enough to, to filibuster any clean bill in the Senate. So, so what's plan B here? Well, there is no plan B. Our plan is for Congress to act to address the debt limit. <laughs> well, there's no plan B. Our plan is for Congress to act to address the debt limit. That's what they did, dude. That's what they did. They did it in a way that you say they shouldn't have and isn't good for you, but they did it. You can't say they didn't do it. Is there nobody in this White House who understands how communication works in any way, shape, or form? I mean, that's... That's a hypothetical situ- a hypothetical question, but it's also a reality-based question. The more you watch these people, you just sit there and you go, this is unbelievable. How do they, how do they, there's no plan B. We want the House to, to act to raise the debt limit. They did. Yeah, but we want them to do it again in a different way. Shush, shush. Just like yesterday or the day before, whatever it was, Corinne Jean-Pierre talking about the debt limit. We don't buy a car, rent a car, buy a car, and then not pay your monthly payments. No, you just do that with apparently uh, student loans, right? Isn't that what, what the Democrats want to say? They, or, uh, there are financial consequences for this, that, and the other. Okay, yeah, there sure are financial consequences. Um, now, do you want to talk about all the eviction moratoriums you enforced throughout the... No, you, you don't want to talk about it. It's weird. You don't want to talk about that. The hypocrisy runs deep with these people. So as you watch, I don't expect the... Uh, you can tell politicians always sit there and they go, oh, man, it'll destroy the economy. It'll just, even When they're acknowledging that the, they're... The only way that things are going to go bad is if they're both wildly stupid. The odds of them being both wildly stupid on this one particular issue go through the floor. So we'll see. They'll come up with something where they can both claim the other side blinked, the other side caved, they won, all glory unto them, and all it will really do is kick the can down to the next time. I just hope that the next time is past the next election. Wouldn't that be nice? Republicans always find a way to say, well, we'll shut down government at Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what works great with voters. We'll shut down the uh, the government right before the uh, the election. Like That's not 
particularly helpful for Republicans. Are you taking your political advice from Lindsey Graham? Where the hell do you come up with these stupid things? Just, especially when something is inevitable, a foregone conclusion, just get it done so you can get it behind them. Nobody's sitting there going, I can't vote for this person. They've increased the debt limit or they wouldn't increase the debt. Most people don't understand what it is. Get back to the things that matter. Start investigating this president and his corrupt family again. That's the way to go. All right. Now I want to switch to the the ladies at The View. This is an amazing couple of clips here. I know. I've always apologized or tried to apologize when I play The View, ladies. But this is something special. This is one of those things where you're like, what? Where the hell do you get this? First off, the... uh, Blonde lady on there is called Sarah Haynes. I'd never heard of Sarah Haynes before she was on The View. I barely ever hear of Sarah Haynes. She's a lefty, but she mostly is a non-entity. She's outstupided by just about everybody else on the show, so she's like the Jan Brady of The View. She starts talking about, and they're still obsessing in New York, of the Jordan Neely death. They, the left wants murder charges against the Marine who stopped this schizophrenic, dangerous person on the subway from threatening and harming people. See, Democrats want people threatened and harmed. They don't really like it when it's not them doing it and they're not doing it for monetary gain, but in general, they don't really care. Well, Sarah Haynes points out that this guy was out on parole. He'd been around, he'd been arrested 44 times, and uh, quite a few of those times are for hurting people, for actually hurting people. So they sit there and say, well, he's just, he's just schizophrenic. All he's doing is saying that he's, that he's going to hurt somebody because he's schizophrenic. He's not actually going to hurt somebody. But what about the people that he's hurt? Well, except for them. Yeah, he punched a couple of old ladies and he hurt some kids. But, but other than that, I mean, come on, man. How many old ladies and kids were on that train car, right? Am I right? Listen to Sarah talk about this and then hear Joy Behar chime in. Joy Behar, this is the problem with a show like this going on when there's a writer's strike. They don't apparently have anybody to do even the basics to write up a briefing paper for these morons. And so left to their own devices, stupid people always default to stupid. And Joy Behar goes right to stupid. And even Whoopi kind of stops for a second. But then Whoopi being Whoopi, you'll notice the complete, there's an audience there. You wouldn't know it. Joy Behar kind of chimes in like she's making a joke, but she's too pissed off for it to be a joke. And the audience kind of goes, God, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. And Whoopi steps in to try and, save her but he doesn't try she doesn't try and save her by pointing out how stupid what she said was she tries to save her by by saying everything you just heard was true that if there's somebody having severe mental issues down in texas they give them a gun why because leftists are complete and total morons 
this is a, a, a kind of intersection of a lot of things, from homelessness that collides with mental illness, which combine, con, combines with drugs. And part of that is because you can't, none of them run in their own lane. A lot of people who can't get food also can't get mental health care, and they don't get medication, and they have to want to help themselves. When Sonny mentioned um, this particular man coming out of treatment, it was actually for a felony. He had punched a 67-year-old woman mm -hmm. and caused facial injuries and broke her nose. And if he stayed clean for 15 months, they would reduce that charge for him, but you can't make people stay if they don't want to. Right. And he had been in multiple times. Or if they can't. So, or if they can't yeah. due to addiction or other problems. Right. But the point is there's only so much that can be done, which is why this is a tragedy on so many levels. And if he lives in Texas, they would give him a gun. <laughs> well, okay. The thing about this is everybody's right. We've, you know, it's, it's all true. The thing is, everybody's right. It's all true, says Scatman Crothers. What it, I, honestly, you can... I never knew how much writers and fact-checkers mattered to the view. I didn't think there were any. I thought this was just their stupidity on display. But it turns out it was the stupidity of a team of people behind the scenes on display through their avatars out there on the stage. Now they're just all straight up stupid. <laughs> they, they don't have any writers. And they just let it fly. And Whoopi's like, oh, hey, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And to illustrate this, I want to play you this clip because this is just one of the dumbest things ever. They're arguing against each other, but they don't realize it. They're not smart enough to realize it. Or maybe they just recognize you don't go against Whoopi. Thou shalt not speak ill of Whoopi or whatever. Sunny Houston, 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 whatever the hell her name is, is pissed off. She's dumb and stupid and going, what we need is to, uh, we've already cut a whole bunch of money from the police budget. We need to cut more money from the police budget. We need to take a billion dollars fully. What she's, I don't know the police budget of New York City, but uh, she says that it's $5 billion, and so she wants to take 20% off the top of the police budget to put towards mental health. I don't know what that means towards mental health. She doesn't know what it means towards mental health. You're dealing with people who are on television. They don't have to actually know the answers. They don't have to absolutely they just need to say things and say so with confidence. Now, now, imagine if the ladies in The View took a 20% across-the-board pay cut. That would probably be quite a nice chunk of change. You could more than likely get a lot done for the forces of good in this country if they did that. You'd certainly be able to make the producers' lives on the show much, much better. They don't make, the executives make the money in show business. The producers don't really, in movies, the executive producers, they can make money. But on television... Not really so much unless you're also the creator. So she doesn't, Sonny doesn't understand that. And if they cut the police budget by 20%, this problem that they're having right now would be worse. There is also a problem of a police shortage that they're experiencing. Why? Because Democrats like the ladies on The View have not only defunded the police, they have made it nearly impossible and wildly unpleasant to do the job of policing. So who the hell would want to sign up for that? Nobody rational would. Thank God some people do it, but 
Most people go, to hell with that. I'm not going. I'm not. No way. I am passing on that. At which point, Whoopi then chimes in after Sonny was being dumb and saying, let's take a billion dollars from the police budget and just throw it towards some nebulous mental health. Whoopi jumps in and says, well, then why don't we, for $5 billion, why don't we put a cop on every single train? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the New York subway system. It is elaborate, and there are lots of different train lines, and there are lots of different train cars on there. New York is already having a staffing shortage, as is most, uh, I think, every liberal city where they've demonized police. They're having the same problem. And so you have this situation where she wants to put a cop on every subway train. Not every car, that would be impossible to do, but on every subway train. That's thousands of trains, I'd imagine, at least hundreds of trains. Guess what would happen to the surface world, where most human beings dwell when not traveling from one borough to another? That would mean that there would be fewer police down there. That would mean that there would be more opportunity in the surface world, in the sunlight, than there already is. And I promise you there is a lot of crime in New York City. They have even more, to have even more. It's, it's putting two fingers in a leaky dike, a leaky dam, and then another hole pops open and you just go, all right, I'm going to take this finger out and put it in that one. Instead of going, well, I got... 10 digits I could stick in there 20 if you're flexible 21 if you're but it's that sort of mentality of we just shift it around the problem is shifting police around will make one area of the city a little bit safer but at a cost of making another area of the city a little less safe the only real solution would be more police, but for more police to come on board, you'd have to stop demonizing the police, etc., etc., lather, rinse, repeat. See how it works? See how it always works? So listen to these ladies on The View. They're arguing against each other. One wants less money for police. The other one wants more police. They seem to think they're in agreement. Both ideas are wildly stupid in any event. May, may I make a quick, quick suggestion? New York City has the highest uh, police budget in our entire country. I think it's something like $5 billion. How about taking a billion dollars of that money, Whoopi, and doing what you did with Comic Relief and get them the mental health services that they need? How about, I'll add how about to that. that, how about taking some of that money and making sure there are cops on that train, on yes. all of those trains? You have, if you have a billion dollars, you can, find, going down. you can find a way to get police on those trains the fact that there wasn't anybody there tells you we have a problem <laughs> the fact that there wasn't anybody there tells you there's a problem no no it tells you well i guess it does it tells you that you have liberal liberals there the police are will come when called they're not particularly proactive you can't blame them for not being proactive it's called the ferguson effect people aren't going to risk their careers, their freedom, their lives, because the second they set foot out of a squad car or on the scene of anything, 
No matter what the nature of the emergency is, there's going to be some leftist there filming them going, you, hey, you can't do that. Hey, stop talking to them. Hey, this, that, and the other thing. And you just go, well, this isn't going to work. This is unsustainable, which is the whole point, actually. The left knows it's unsustainable. They need the whole damn thing to collapse so they can replace it because no rational, rational, why did I mispronounce that? No rational, sane person would ever go, you know what? Let's get rid of police. Let's get rid of society. Let's turn things all around. Let us get rid of capitalism. You have to have something cataclysmic where people are desperate, scared, and scrambling. And then, sadly, people who are desperate, scared, and scrambling, you can get to almost do just about anything. That's what we're up against. These leftists are quite good at trying to scare the ever-loving hell out of everybody. And we have to be better at being rational and sane and putting things in ways that make sense to the average person. You can have all the right answers and the right solutions in the world. If you can't communicate them, it doesn't matter one damn bit. Speaking of which, I've got this uh, clip of John Fetterman. Let me see. I think I'm going to get to Fetterman next, last. I just... Um, <clears throat> there is... Like I say, there's always a lot going on. I want to find this one story because I saw it and I thought, well, by the way, CNN's headline or their tweet about Tucker Carlson news, right-wing extremist Tucker Carlson will relaunch his program on Twitter, a platform he praised as the only remaining large free speech platform in the world after Fox fired him late last month. Now, don't you love it? Right-wing extremist Chris Licht is rolling over in his career's grave. Because he was the guy who was brought in who was supposed to like restore credibility and all that, the good name of CNN. And they're sending out crap like this. This is the problem. When you hire an idiot like Oliver Darcy, this is what you get. This is what you get. All right, here's this story. This one kind of struck me as, as pretty damn funny. Marcia Gay Harden, you probably don't know who she is. She won an Oscar, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. It was a long time ago. And she, uh, she's in, the only thing I can remember her being in is the movie Cobb. She played the, the wildly inaccurate biography of Ty Cobb. It's just not true. But she played a prostitute in that. Um, but she was participating, well, the... Page six at the New York Post has a story. All three of Marcia Gay Harden's children are queer. The Oscar winner, 63, felt compelled to share the revelation during the Drag Isn't Dangerous, a digital fundraiser live telethon over the weekend. Quote, what drives me is because it's right. And what's happening right now is wrong, Harden, 63, told co-host Adam Shankman, according to People. What drives me is... My children are all queer. My eldest child is non-binary, my son is gay, and my youngest is fluid, she continued. And, you know, they are my kids, and they teach me every day. <laughs> Don't you love... You, no, maybe it's because you're a weirdo. Maybe you, you're a typical weirdo theater chick, and you're the problem here. I'm just looking for a common denominator here. The actress shares that Ilula... 
spelled E-U-L-A-L-A, 24, and 19-year-old twins Julita and Hudson, with her ex-husband, director Thaddeus Shearer, 58. And there's a picture of all of them. They look like a therapist's dream, actually. Why? Because there's a lot of money in therapy. But, yeah, that's who they are. Speaking of therapy, I'm going to end it early today and bring you the one and only Senator John Fetterman. He sat down with for an interview again and with Joe Scarborough. I don't understand. Joe Scarborough needs to really just accept his limitations as a human being. Because at his age, look, you, you you don't have to accept your limitations as a human being if you show an aptitude for something and you, you work diligently at it and improve. But Joe Scarborough surrounds himself with people who would never say, you know what, I think it can be done better, or here's how you do it right. If anybody corrects Joe on anything, I imagine he tries to fire them. And so that's the... Uh, the world in which he finds himself. And so he goes and does these interviews that are so wildly stupid, a person of average intelligence would be embarrassed to have conducted it. And he's sitting down with John Fetterman, and he goes off about how other people... He's trying to make depression sound good, it seems. Like, sound cool. Like, hey, man, uh, Churchill was depressed, and, and Lincoln was depressed. Yeah, they were depressed. There's also grappling with massive life and death issues and the weight of the world on their shoulders directly. Not just, you know, a bad day, but thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of deaths as a direct result of their actions. That could kind of be a bit of a bummer, dude. But uh, Fetterman then answers, his answer is kind of sadly hilarious, and it's telling about that this guy doesn't know what the hell's going on around him. Because he at first agrees with the premise of what Joe is saying. And then he goes and completely undercuts the premise of what Joe has said. And it really is just a scream and cry for attention. I would talk about the nobility. He talks about the nobility of dealing with depression. I would point out that the true nobility is in doing a job that you're hired to do, that you campaigned to get. And true nobility, save uh, for that, would be to resign from said job if you found yourself incapable of doing it, neither of which describes John Fetterman. You get inspiration from people like Lincoln and Churchill who struggled with depression their whole lives and yet fought through it and changed the world. I would say there's almost kind of like a nobility to it. Like what are suffering, you know, there's some nobility to that or, you know, and I, so maybe something, it, it, it's, it toughens you up or whatever, but, <laughs> but it, it didn't tougher me up. You know, in fact, it, 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 it nearly ruined me. And I know it put my, my family through a lot of pain. <laughs> it toughens you up and it's a nobility. I mean, it didn't do that for me. It merely ruined my life and uh, almost destroyed my family. And just sitting there going, my God, this poor bastard. He really needed somebody in his life. He still needs somebody in his life. He's sitting there reading the teleprompter in real time so that he can understand what Scarborough is saying. He really he seems to be, at least so far in his Senate career, and it's only been a couple of months, his entire Senate career has been one long 
ignored cry for help. Honestly, you almost feel bad for him. When realistically, I mean, he could just resign himself. He doesn't. He doesn't need somebody's permission. He doesn't need Joe Scarborough's permission. He doesn't need his wife's permission to resign. He just needs the uh, testicular fortitude, the content of the underpants in the front rather than in the back. But uh, yeah, the poor bastard. Yeah, no. Oh, it's a nobility in it. I mean, not for me. It really almost destroyed me. Wow, dude. I don't believe for a second that he was in the hospital for six weeks for depression. Uh, the normal course treatment for that I've read is two weeks. I think he was there to try and make up for the damage done in his campaign by his family and friends and campaign staffers and Democrats in Pennsylvania who said, don't prioritize your health, just campaign. Don't worry, you can fix it later. We'll fix it in post. And so he missed those crucial first months of rehab, which I don't know that he'll be able to make up for. Anyway, that is enough for today, I say, I think. It's almost 50 minutes, about 50 minutes. That's enough. It's enough. I told you some days are going to be long, some days are going to be short. Um, Appreciate you listening. Have a, a great one. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. You can email me. Let me know what you think or spread it on social media, whatever you want. Appreciate it. See you tomorrow.